Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing. My guest today, Stefan Shibesta, talking from Toronto, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah. CEO, Thanks for having me. CEO, uh, North America CEO at Send in Blue. Send in Blue is based in France, correct? Headquartered in France. Headquartered in we, France. Have, we have offices all around the world, two offices in North America, one in Seattle, one in Toronto, where I am at. And then we have a couple of offices in Europe and two offices in India as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So a, a, a true a true global enterprise. And I, although email I know is core, it's not the only thing that Send in Blue provides for customers. Exactly. We started with email marketing back in the day. And like a lot of um, companies in our space, we have evolved to like a full, uh, full featured online marketing suite, I would say. Full, yeah, very full featured. Um, you yourself uh, joined Send in Blue when your company was acquired. Is that right? That's right. So I I had built my own company back in Germany. I'm a German citizen. I just moved to Toronto a year and a half ago, oh, wow. uh, and my German company was also active in the same space in the email marketing space. Mm -hmm. um, it was called Newsletter to Go and was acquired by Send in Blue in, at the end of 2018. At the end of 2018, and and I know Send in Blue has been on, <laughs> I won't call it an acquisition tear, but <laughs> didn't didn't Send in Blue add three companies last last fall? We're talking in spring 2022, so, but relatively recently, right? Yeah, exactly. Last year we acquired three companies in the e-commerce space um, that were focused on different channels um, in the in the e-commerce space. One in the in, in the chat and messenger space right. uh, one in the push notifications uh, space and the other one was an e-commerce analytics tool almost like a cdp which helps to get additional insights in your your products and your customers and and we, we had a chance to to talk briefly last week uh, so i learned a bit more about the company and the focus but is it fair to say target customers for send in blue are small to medium uh, small to medium business SMB. Yes, exactly. Um, I think this is also where maybe we differentiate ourselves a bit from from other players that are more mid market or up market. Um, some some big email marketing tools out there, of course, that target the enterprise customers, and we are really focused on the SMB uh, on on the SMB space, um, the the mom and pop shop around the corner and. Uh, small retailers and and so on. This is our our bread and butter, and this is yeah. what what our product is really uh, good for. So, mom and pop, mom and pop have to be online now. I mean, especially post pandemic, and hopefully that's a meaningful phrase. But you know, the notion that you could run your corner store, whatever the business it is, and 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 not have any digital footprint, marketing, commerce, whatever. Is, in, yeah. is increasingly less viable, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, especially during the pandemic, we've seen, you know, increased demand in tools like ours that help businesses grow online. And during the lockdowns, a lot of these small shops, they had to close down at least for a bit. Mm -hmm. And they were really struggling to survive, right? Mm -hmm. And our and our vision 
is really to help these small businesses to be on equal footing with the big players like the Amazons and, and Walmarts out there that of course have more resources, yeah. more employees, more yeah. knowledge yeah. and access to, to, you know, very advanced tools. So what we're trying to do is provide easy to use, very accessible tools at an affordable price to small and medium businesses mm -hmm. so that they can compete. Maybe they'll, they won't be 100% there, but they, they'll be able, able to reach like 90, 95% of the same, um, the same successes with Thin yeah. & Blue as, as these big players. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's one of the, one of the conundrums of, of change, if you will. There, there are always early there are all the always early um, pioneers and, and even early empires who seize the advantage of something new but as everyone as as everything adjusts and levels out you know the advantage that my fill in the blanks you know my favorite bar in town has not that i have a favorite bar but <laughs> like they're not Amazon, and if they play to the strengths of you know us, we know you, we're in the same town, uh, we know what's going on. Like there's a there's a place where Amazon can't compete, dis yeah. despite their size and and scale. Um, agreed. Exactly, and we actually did a, a survey on this topic mm -hmm. um, during the pandemic, which was quite interesting to see. Um, that there was a shift in mindset for customers during the pandemic where um, everybody really understood how hard it was for small and medium yeah. businesses that were like local businesses, regional businesses. And customers are more aware and are actively trying to support these businesses nowadays. Yeah. And I, I know for myself, I also do that. You know, I, I prefer going to the bakery and buying my bread instead of buying maybe yeah. bread from Walmart yeah. or, or supporting other shops like small retailers to, to buy presents or so on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we've seen that that was a big trend, um, especially last year and the year before. And I think it's, it's here to, to say because the awareness is there and people really value the neighbor, their, their neighborhoods more because they're also working more from home. Yeah. Uh, so it's important for them to, yeah. 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 Um, at the same time, there's a there's a different angle to the um, to that adjustment that your target customers have to make, which is not just the the technical workings of you know email and other digital channels. It, it's also the 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 surprisingly complex um, legal policy and even transnational issues. I'm kind of leading us into talk a bit about. Uh, zero party, first party, et cetera, and, and privacy, uh, privacy writ large. Um, where, you know, talk to me about how you help your customers, for starters, understand that they've got to pay attention to this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, apart from that macro trend that, we, that we've seen, the, the, the digitization of all kinds of offline businesses mm -hmm. we just talked about, um, one, one big trend in the industry is the whole data privacy angle, right? Yeah. And we we've seen that last year with Google and Apple, both both players really introducing major changes in how they handle data privacy mm -hmm. in their operating systems. We had we had Apple introducing 
um, app privacy and email privacy features. Mm -hmm. We had Google introducing Google Flock first and, and it's renamed Google Topics now, which um, also is changing the how the advertising um, landscape is working. Um, and overall, I think it's a, it's a great trend when it comes to giving customers control and visibility on their data, which hasn't been the case in a lot of um, a lot of times in the past. Yeah. In Europe, of course, where our company is headquartered, we had GDPR that that's a couple of years ago already, which yeah. had a big impact on data privacy as well. So we know really well how important data privacy is, but it really seems to me that uh, there is a, a much bigger awareness and a much bigger need to follow these regulations now, also in North America, and in particular in North America, which has been handling data privacy a little looser than Different. Europe back in the past, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Uh, but we've, we've, we see that there's a shift in mindset now. There, there, uh, yeah, agreed. And, and, uh, and the EU for sure led the way with GDPR. I think you're being, yeah. uh, I think you're being uh, too polite and too generous to the U.S. versus Canadian <laughs> market because Canada uh, was yeah. Canada has been uh, more assertive about data privacy laws, and the U.S. is a, is a patchwork right now. You know, California's yeah. recent legislation. Okay, there's you know there's a start, big market, but it, it the fact that it's a patchwork alone. It means it's a tough job for a small business to add, you know, to their marketing. Like, hi, I run a restaurant. We have a chief privacy officer. Excuse <laughs> me? <laughs> like, what? Doesn't make sense. Well, you kind of have to, don't you? Yeah, to, to a certain degree. Um, I think you, at this point, yeah, you can rely on, on tools that, that should help you, um, you know, being compatible with with the different legislations across yeah. the world yeah and this is you know where where tools like ours of course come into play and and help you um maybe avoid having a, a data privacy officer at a restaurant <laughs> but in general in general yes i mean you you should yeah it's important to keep data private and have um have customers have or help customers have the authority yeah. over their data. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you said something in a quick phrase that has uh, has a whole iceberg wor worth of meaning uh, under the waterline, and I think it's worth pulling out a little bit. Um, it's easy to think of a software solution that you license as a as a functional set of tools. You know, it does X, Y, and Z faster, better, or it's in the cloud, or whatever true but there are also a bunch of decisions including legal compliance decisions baked into the design of that tool set and and in some senses you're actually buying this thing does it the right way in addition to it does it does whatever the thing is does that make sense yeah for sure yeah. i mean some maybe some examples would be how uh, like a sign-up form works, right? It's as simple as simple as that. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that we don't like spam. But if I see sign-up forms where I can just put in your email address, right, and then yep. you you're signed up and you get emails from that provider, then that's of course not best practice and should be should be avoided. 
so these are like simple things, but overall there is a higher awareness from the consumer side where yeah. data is stored and what data is used for. Uh, and a good example is the, the app privacy that Apple introduced. And for, for those of you who use an iPhone, you probably have seen that there's a little pop-up asking if the app can track you or not. Yeah. And data suggests that over 90% of consumers opt out of the, the tracking feature. Yes. And yes. that shows if the consumer has the choice, then a vast majority opts out of, of these tracking algorithms because they don't know what, what happens to their data. Yeah. And yeah. the better solution to that is to actively ask the, the customer what data they want to share and to transparently show the data that is being collected. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's a good way because in the end, the, from a consumer experience standpoint, sometimes it's good to have data collected and to personalize offers. And like I personally, I, you know, if I get more relatable and more relevant ads or emails, yeah. then that's good for me, right? Yeah. I, I enjoy that and I, I, I benefit from that. So in the end, I'm, it, you know, we're aligned. I'm aligned with maybe the provider to, to give data um, and provide data that can be beneficial for both of us. Yeah. And that's basically what zero data, uh, zero party data is about. Yeah, you, you brought this up in our, in our, our conversation last week. Um, and, and as I said about tools, and, and what you have to be aware of, you know, if you're busy running a restaurant or a store, thinking about zero party, first party, second party, uh, like may not be at the top of your list of stuff to engage in. Could you do a quick definition of those layers, just a, like a snap definition? Sure, I think what's been talked about last year a lot was the third party data. Mm -hmm. And so basically data that is collected by any kind of third party, and that can be used by somebody else. Okay. Yeah. And that a that a customer or consumer is not even aware of, and that's a problem. Like cross tracking, if you you use some kind of app, and all of a sudden Facebook knows everything about that app and your behavior in that app. Well, let's let's let, let's put a put a peg in a really simple example in the email space, and I'm sure you grapple yeah. with this with new customers. Oh, gee, I bought a list of. Uh, you know, fishermen in yeah. the state of Washington, and I'm going to email them. That list is third-party data, correct? In 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 this in this formulation, you're doing. Yeah, it's third-party data, and could be more information. You you can add information on yeah. on your own list. That could be also third-party data. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then second party, which doesn't come up that often, is in in theory. Business A, where I'm their customer, says yeah. we're going to share your data with our partners, and that's okay, right? It's not as common. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I don't hear about second-party data all that often. No, it's yeah, like you said, it's a very uh, edge case that's usually not, uh, not very common. Yeah, yeah. But first, first-party data, and and now uh, zero-party data as well, which is uh, I think a topic that. A lot of um, people have been starting to talk about more mm -hmm. are really the kind of data that your own company can control. Okay. And um, 
Zero-party data in particular is the data that a consumer shares voluntarily with you. So if you ask a customer, for example, uh, you know, what, what are your interests? Are you more interested in, uh, I don't know, in shoes or in pants or in shirts? Yeah. And the customer shares that on, on their own. This is important data for you, but it also improves the, the user experience. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. First party data is the data that you collect on top of that on your own. Uh, and it can be, can help together with a zero party data. But first party data is more, I, I think on the first party data, you want to uh, you want to make sure the customer can see that data because mm -hmm. they might not be aware where zero party data, they are super aware because they provided themselves. So let, let me put that in a concrete example, make sure I've got it right. Um, and I bring, I've, I've managed to bring this company up and not mention who they are, like <laughs> one out of two episodes of, of, this, of, of this podcast. Uh, there's an outdoor retailer whom I've, whom I've uh, bought things from for over a decade. I think we're going on 12 or 13 years at this point. Um, and I've stayed on their email list that whole time. I've bought thousands of dollars worth of gear from them. Yeah. And it's still, I still get the same general <laughs> consumer email from them after all that time, after all of that input. I'm like, you know, like stop sending me stuff related to water skiing. I don't have a boat. I don't want a boat, right? But they've got first party data about my purchases. Yeah. You'd think. Now, whether or not the email guys have access to that is an entirely separate machinery question, but they've got first party data saying this guy has bought dit, 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 dit category stuff. Um, they haven't ever they haven't ever exposed it in a way where, that I can see and say, yes, that's right. No, that's wrong. Um, but it's first party data collected from those sort of implicit preferences of purchase. Accurate so far? Exactly. Yeah. Zero party would be if they opened up the kimono and said, check off the stuff you're interested in. So we stop emailing you about crap that you don't care about. And yeah. I went, you know, this, 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 that, 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 right? Yeah, exactly. Hugely valuable. Yeah, hugely yeah. valuable, which I would do in a heartbeat. And I know there's, you know, they'd have to build a mechanisms form and incredibly complex data tracking to, yeah. to manage that. But is that better than blasting me with water ski stuff that I'm never going to buy? <laughs> hmm, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pickle. Yeah, and, and the combination of both zero and first party data can be super powerful um, because zero, zero party data can provide you with information that you would never be able to, to receive, right? Right, right? So you might have a history of purchases at your outdoor company mm -hmm. and they might know what you're interested in by now mm -hmm. and they might even be able to in a way even predict what you might be interested sure. in the future sure so while maybe it's not water skiing you might be interested in hiking in the future yeah. right and yeah. and if if they have a good system and some ai running in the in the background they might be able to really recommend the right things to you right. however who knows? Maybe in a couple of years you move and all of a sudden you do own a boat, right? Right. And you are interested in a particular uh, water sports equipment, right? Yeah. This is, nobody would know that unless you might change your preferences. <clears throat> yeah. So that can help, that can help 
you really um, providing information and giving giving the, the the seller and the company access to data that they would never never receive otherwise. Yeah, and it makes for that hypothetical means means a, a mutual efficiency, if you will. I, I yeah. I'm getting communication related to my actual interest, my stated interest in that case, and there they know not to try to persuade me to uh, you know to get something completely different because I've said no, my categories of interest are this. Um, most companies aren't anywhere near zero party data at this point, are they? Yes, uh, probably, probably not at this point. Yeah. Um, there is a, a movement in, into that direction and it can be very easy to set it up as well. Yeah. So one, one good example is if you, let's say you, you sell clothes online, right? Clothes online mm -hmm. and you have an e-commerce shop and you have a sign up form to your weekly newsletter you send out um all you know discounted i don't know clothes every every week um and and if you are a customer you sign up to the to the newsletter you might get completely irrelevant uh, content so yeah. one easy example is to have a sign up form where it says i'm interested in you know, there's a button instead of sign up, it says sign up for male fashion or sign up for female fashion. And then you right. click and you're signed up. And in that moment already, the consumer provides you with zero party data right. and right. tells you I'm, I'm more interested in maybe female fashion than, in, um, than anything else. And that yeah. has a big impact on, on your efficiency. Yeah. If you think about it, like a, if, if you're a woman, you, you're very unlikely to buy any male fashion items in the, in the future right so it can be it can be as easy as that of course you can go much more refined and especially also give access to to data and and let the consumer change or remove data mm -hmm. um, that doesn't only help with your efficiency marketing efficiency but it also helps um you know giving a good image i would say and that's for for me that's a third point to mention um, apart from the authority of the data um, and 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 making it more relevant, the third part is that you know it's it's a big topic. Um, it's in a more and more it's becoming more and more mainstream data privacy, um, and you want to be on the right side of history in a way. You don't want to hide any anything from from your customer. You want to be transparent and you want to give access. So I think it can help with the image, with your brand. And we've seen that with, with some brands like, I don't know, Patagonia, for example, yep. is, 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 is nice to see they're, you know, very sustainable and all this image. And you can, you can go a similar way when it comes to data privacy and how you manage data uh, for, your, for your customers. So it, it can help with the reputation of your brand. It can help with the image of your brand as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing that jumped to mind is that the 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 company that has that for me, whom I've had an account with, a digital account with for over twenty five years, happens to be Amazon. I was in. I, I lived in Seattle. Um, Amazon started in Seattle. I am. I'm, I'm a book nut. I hear about this yeah. cookie company selling books online. I'm like. <laughs> I'll sign up, right? I'm an early adopter. I'll sign up. So I've had the same Amazon account 
for a quarter century at this point. Like, do they know Whoa. a bit about me? Oh, man, do they know a bit about me? Um, and I support the local merchants as much as I can. But but Amazon gets that brand halo that you're talking about that says they've got a pretty good grasp of what I'm interested in. And for sure, the pages I see in the Amazon app or website are completely tailored by that knowledge base of, in their case, first party data, mostly purchase data, yeah. not, not a whole lot of, of preference asking. Um, but it works. It's a very efficient machine. Yeah. And it's I hope you also, I hope you also bought some Amazon shares 25 years ago. <laughs> it's <laughs> when they went public. It's been a well, you know, it's funny. Amazon got beat up all through the 90s, you know, it's, and even the even the the aughts, the zero zeros. Um, Amazon got beat up hard by Wall Street. Do you remember that? They like what you guys are not making, you know, you're not generating enough cash. You keep saying you're going to grow bigger and take over the planet. Well, guess what? That's actually kind of was the plan, <laughs> right? It's been amazing to watch. And yes, their stock has has skyrocketed, but that's that's within the last decade. You had to be pretty patient to be an Amazon investor before that and and uh you know and, and then really reap the long-term returns it has I, I think you said you've been to seattle correct you guys have an office yeah we have yeah we have an office in seattle trends it's it's yeah. transformed amazon even more than microsoft and some of the other companies based there have has has just transformed that city not all not all good i'd hate to buy a house there now but not all good um yeah interesting place but but i but i digress but i wander off of the point i wanted to ask you this is this is sort of professional personal question one what it feel like to go from running your own building your own company to being part of a larger organization what have been some of the highlights of that for you yeah, I mean, that was a big transition, of course, for me, um, yeah. selling my, my company, you know, that I, that I built from scratch. Yeah. Um, I was a CEO of the company um, and, and then going from one day to another to be being part of a bigger organization as well. Um, and then we, we integrated yeah. our team and the software into, into Send and Blue. That was a big, big change for me, right? Yeah. It wasn't all easy either. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of hard work mm -hmm. and and a lot of learnings for sure. Mm -hmm. was the first acquisition of Send and Blue was my first time. Oh, for you me were to sell the company. Okay. Wow. Okay. And 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 Send and Blue was about about 150 employees back in the day, and uh, and newsletter to go the company I sold was about half the size, so. Okay. Actually, it was almost like a merger of two teams wow. and products. Yeah. No, it was pretty challenging. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, in, in the end, very successful, very complementary, a very similar mindset and, and company culture DNA. So after a while, I, I transitioned out and um, had the opportunity to open our North America uh, sales and marketing office here in, in Toronto, mm -hmm. which I did about a year and a half ago. And ever since I've been working on the North American market. North American market. Well, that was the you, you opened the door to the second question I want to ask you about, which is uh, coming from Germany to Canada and spending more time, I would assume, in the States from there. Um, yeah. What are some of the highlights of that? <laughs> well, first of all, 
we moved in the middle of, of the pandemic of lockdown oh geez <laughs> so there 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 are easier things in life than moving <laughs> with a with yeah. a four-year-old and my oh, wife wow. um in july 2020 everything was uh, wow. on lockdown yeah was was not great so yeah i had uh, when we had planned this it was before covid hit we had we had planned this very differently yeah and so in the end, I didn't end up traveling that much. I didn't end up spending that much time in the U.S. Yeah. that I had expected. Yeah. Um, but still, it was, it was good. I mean, I'm, I'm happy here. And obviously, now things are opening up. And I go to Seattle on a, on a regular basis to, oh, to visit our office there. Yeah. And we also, you know, there are trade shows and, and events that we participate yeah. in. Yeah. Um, overall, yeah, big transition, of course, coming from, from Germany to North America. I had lived in the U.S. before for had, half okay. a year when yeah. I was younger, uh -huh. but there's definitely some, some differences between the markets and the cultures and how, how business is done as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, mount, mount, mountains of differences. I, I worked in Toronto a lot. This is 20 years ago, so I know the city. I mean, it's, that's, it's a yeah. wonderful, uh, wonderful metropolis. I mean, what is Toronto? Six million people or something like like it? It's it's a measurable chunk of Canada is in the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, and it's 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 a metropolis all its own. You guys must must be enjoying it, opening up and starting to discover just like as people who live there, everything that Toronto is about. Yeah, for sure. Finally, yeah. it's uh, slowly opening up again. Yeah, <laughs> Toronto is really a, a melting pot. It's very interesting, yeah. very diverse, yeah. lots of different cultures, yeah. uh, but a very good spirit. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, everybody yeah. seems you know very humble. A um, lot of immigrants, of course, and and everybody that I've met who who immigrated has been very happy to to be in in Canada, and yeah. they really appreciate um, you know the the system here. Canada's got yeah. The they're so much smarter about immigration and like maybe we'll get our crap back together in the u.s but canada canada has played that really smart i've worked in canada i can literally see canada out this office window um <laughs> but i've worked in canada a lot over the years and really really treasure it there's a lot to admire about the country and as similar as they look there are also huge differences between the u.s and canada that take a while to ferret out i'm sure you're bumping into that in your time there yeah but overall i i really enjoy working on the north american market yeah um i feel like u.s customers are you know pretty straightforward they're they're more advanced when it comes to requirements and what what they've done in the past um they they have yeah higher higher requirements in general um, expect, higher expectations when it comes to customer service as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's good to see. A very quick, a quicker turnaround when it comes to sales and, and marketing than in than in Europe, I would say. Where really? yes, European customers are, or at least the German customers are more a little more hesitant. I would say where you know in in the US, people just sign up, put their. <laughs> I'm gonna enter their credit card information and then they start start um, working on their own where in, in Germany I feel like it's first they'll they'll do a lot of research and then they they take one final decision and then that's where they I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell a tale on you man like I've invited we've had over 50 guests on the show at this yeah. point but your approach when I when I when I asked would you please be a guest was 
yes, let's have a call first and talk about the the topics and stuff, which is to me a very German, thorough, <laughs> planned, like meticulous approach, and it pays off because we had a you know we had we had a an idea of what the topics were going to be, so I could sort of shape the conversation, but. Average American, you know, guest <laughs> invite. They're like, sure. What time? Bam. <laughs> we'll just yeah, wing it when I'm, we get I'm there. I'm trying my best, but I can't get rid of my <laughs> my, my my German background. No, I it's I, it's you know what? I we had a we had a client. This is a different company. Uh, I had a client that I'd done a uh, help them explain a really complex topic, and um, God, data, not Databricks. I'm blanking on the company name. Uh, it might come to me. Uh, anyway, they came back like a year and a half later wanted to, that, and wanted to revise. They ended up with a video out of this. They wanted to revise it, which had happened before. But instead of coming back and saying, we want to update it, they came back and they'd literally gone through second for second, frame for frame, and identified the changes that they wanted to make. And uh, that was our first German customer for that company at the time. And I'm like, whoa, wow. Uh, yeah, these guys are thorough. Holy mackerel. It was <laughs> really go. impressive. It, and, and it was, it was a pleasure. And I also had to say, well, hang on a second. We, we can't just, you know, you know, nip and tuck. If we got to do something completely different, let's, let's rethink how we're going to do that thing. But yeah, it, it's, it, it's an interesting place for you to be at the, at the, at the vertex of those, uh, yeah. you know, those cultural differences and, and probably kind of fun in a way. Yeah, and uh, what you said, I mean, it's it's good and bad, right? There's there's pros and cons to, to yeah. either approach. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I really enjoy working here, and um, lots of learnings and yeah, lots of lots of joy. In, in lots general. Of, that's good. Um, back to back to Sand and Blue for for a minute. Um, yeah. You talked about your focus on SMB. Um, and. Isn't Shopify also a Toronto company? They're an Ottawa company. Ottawa, but yeah, okay. also Canadian. I also Canadian company, because because I think you you like that's a growing piece of the market for you, isn't it? Companies that are starting to move their operation online, and Shopify plays a big role for so many companies there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Shopify are probably the most um, popular e-commerce system that we integrate with. Yeah, and very similar persona in a way, very similar. Um, target group SMBs, yeah, and and yeah, I mean, very uh, high growth rates in the past for Shopify, and yes, we yeah we we work with them quite a bit. We have an integration with Shopify, and a lot okay. of customers who use Shopify and Sendblue at the same time, um, and especially also the three acquisitions from last year, they're really uh, reputable on on Shopify on the Shopify ecosystem as well. Yeah, Shopify's. It, it, it you know if you're if you're in the SaaS space, you're probably well aware of them. If you're just trying to run some other kind of business, you may or may not be aware. But Shopify's a big like that's a big story. It's a big deal what what they've done to make e-commerce, yeah. to make online commerce something that's achievable without growing the technical footprint of your organization massively. Like it's quite turnkey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. they've they've moved like upmarket as well, uh, Shopify Plus. Uh, they have really big companies using their system now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very that incredibly sophisticated platform. They have not, interestingly, they have not opted to make uh, marketing functions part of 
what Shopify does for customers, have they? Um, that's not entirely true. They do have a, a small email marketing um, really? toolbox. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's not very sophisticated. Yeah. And I actually talked to someone from Shopify who's uh, very close to the CEO, um, who happens to be a German, by the way. <laughs> that's another story. That's funny. Um, and Shopify is really good at what they do. And they really try to focus on that core. Yeah. Uh, so I don't expect I don't expect them to move into the marketing direction anytime soon. Yeah. Plus they have they have I think they were probably the first company in the e-commerce space who really nailed the app store approach. Yeah. And they have a very um, very dynamic, very vivid app store with a lot of really really good apps. Mm-hmm. And in a way, they would cannibalize. The, these app store developers, if they start yeah. um, providing these tools on their own, they, yeah. they don't yeah. want to do that. They yeah. want to continue focusing on what they do best. As, as a platform, you've got to navigate that, you know, yeah. functional richness versus partner ecosystem uh, richness and reward. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised that they've got a small email function and it's consistent with their behavior and of good of well-run platforms not to cannibalize. There's a there's a website company called Squarespace. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know Squarespace. I've used Squarespace for a long time. They actually built an email function. Like you can do your email marketing on Squarespace and I've yet to meet anybody who actually does. Cause it's like, yeah, you can say you've got that, but there's a whole different, there's a whole different set of problems to solve to do it well. If it's just an afterthought or a bolt-on it's not necessarily going to do the same things that a platform like Senderblue is going to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, also Wakes.com, GoDaddy, I think even acquired an email marketing solution. Emma. Yes, they did. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, it makes sense from their point of view, of course, but then you, you see how big these email marketing or online marketing solutions have grown. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Senderblue is over 550 employees now. Wow. Um, or a Mailchimp, I don't know. They're even even bigger, or HubSpot <laughs> or something there, or yeah. Twilio, right? They're huge. Uh, so it's really, really hard for a Squarespace to do that in house. Yeah. It's it's a whole it's a whole other company, and they they can provide these tools to a certain degree. And I've seen, for example, the Wix.com email email marketing tools. It's it's pretty intuitive. It's pretty nice, um, but of course, it doesn't have the depth that a, a Sendinblue or uh, a comparable solution can offer. Right, right. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. And, and knowing, knowing in advance, because we're inventing a lot of this stuff still, knowing in advance what the natural affinities are where adding function X to your company will end up being the right thing to do, it's not that predictable, right? You really, you really don't know. Like e- e-commerce used to be firmly bolted to payment and, and having worked in e-com for 20 plus years not they're not the same thing and really good e-com platforms are like you got your choice of handling payment that's not necessarily our you know our bag by contrast great payment companies um and uh stripe comes to mind for sure yeah like that's what they do they do it very well that's what they're going to keep doing and it it ends up being a sensible uh nucleus but you don't know in advance i would argue that um are you familiar with Stripe? 
Yeah. Oh, sorry, with uh, Square. Square. Yeah. Now Square called so. Block. Yeah. Did you know they rebranded? Yeah, I know. What? They had a great <laughs> brand. What are you doing, Jack? Um, like they seem to be getting kind of a little nebulous to me. Um, but Square, Square, the brand still exists. It's more like yes. the Alphabet brand for Google that was yeah plugged on top. Yeah. And this is what Block is for for Square. Yeah, for Square. Yeah, like uh, like like facebook and meta right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's funny that both of these companies had their rebranding within a couple of weeks and they've been working on it for yeah. probably over a year or so because there's a lot of work that goes into oh, rebranding. It's a and lot of work yeah and... you don't realize how many places the name and the logo showed up until you go through a rebrand right <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's it's not easy you must have you must have taken your newsletter to go through some rebranding over the time that you grew it. Um, only on the logo we yeah. we we kind of refined the logo over time. Yeah. And similar for Send and Blue, we changed our logo. Um, it used to be an envelope, a blue envelope, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, very focused on on emails. On email. And yeah. since we offer much more than email nowadays, we we changed it maybe. Uh, a year and a half ago or so that's the that's the pattern over your head right. exactly yeah it's not longer. easy to see here it's uh <laughs> it's more like a, a circle yeah yeah um, what in addition to email like knock off the what are the key key tools uh, key communication channels and tools yeah so we were, we were one of the first uh, to offer like a whole marketing automation workflow builder mm -hmm. uh, for SMBs. So that's super powerful. You can add a lot of different channels, a lot of different events, a lot of different conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, when you when you build out your marketing automation, we also offer other channels such as text messaging. We offer a chat feature that I had mentioned before, yeah. chat and also uh, like Facebook Messenger and other messenger services that oh, plug wow. into yeah. that. Interesting. So it's it's called Send in Blue Conversations. Um, we also offer Facebook ads. We offer a landing page builder, and we have a whole sales CRM. So we're moving even like we're in the online marketing space, but even now we're adding uh, features that that customer service teams and and sales teams can use as well. And then we, we try to combine all the information that we have, all the first party data, yeah. um, to make it really powerful, for example, to use in a marketing automation. Wow. Okay. So you're going to end up, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll make fun of MailChimp in a few minutes, but you're going to end up uh, butting heads with, in the market, that is, you're going to end up butting heads hypothetically with Constant Contact plus SharpSpring or, or possibly HubSpot. Um, although they're they're coming at it from a different angle, fair 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 characterization. In the end, I, I think a lot of companies have a similar vision where they're going to. Yeah. Um, it's this all-in-one solution, and for us, it's really the vision is to to build all kinds of tools, almost yeah. like a business as a service for all kinds of small and medium businesses. Okay. That that they can use to to grow their business online. Um, so it's not email marketing is still a huge part of it, probably the biggest part of it, yeah. um, because it just works so well. And this is where our roots are, yeah. and our bread and butter is still yeah. email marketing. But yeah. it's it's so much more now. And other competitors that you mentioned, like a HubSpot, for example, they take a similar 
uh, approach. In, in the end, they're, they're moving into the same direction as we are, but they're coming from a different background. Yeah. Their background is the CRM sales uh, background and ours is more on the marketing side, but it's it's similar in, in the overall vision, I would say, that yeah. we're, we're trying to build. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out in the end. I, I mean, HubSpot is, is definitely a good tool, more, much more expensive than ours, for example, a little different, yeah. um, dif- different target groups as well, a little different feature set. But in the end, it's like you said, it's not that far away from us. Yes, you know, I mean, my comment about that, and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from HubSpot with this, it, it, that is a, that requires a, quite a degree of technical and or data sophistication to, to really adopt successfully. It's not an easy lift, HubSpot, because like partially because it's too uh, cotton pick and broad and vast. Um, but it, I, I find that, and I'm highly technical, but I find yeah. a platform like, wow, you know, corner store is not going to adopt this easily. They're going to be going, what the heck do I do with all this? I, I, I don't speak API. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's a contrasting strategy, I would argue that guided into its $12 billion expenditure to pick up MailChimp. I mean, there's into it coming yeah. at the company operating system or nervous system, if you will, from the really accounting roots, right? Quick, quick, quick books and the, and the army of things uh, bolted onto that. It was a bit of a surprise to see them uh, pick up MailChimp, but I've worked with Intuit. They've actually been a client for past companies and I have a lot of respect for them. I think, I think they'll make that one work. I really do. What do you think? Yeah, I was also surprised by MailChimp being sold in the the very first place. Yep. Uh, a company like MailChimp that has grown so rapidly and has been so successful um, and has never raised any outside money. Yeah. They had so many opportunities to either, uh, you know, fundraise or to, to exit. They could have gone public. They could have sold to, to private equity fund sure. or to strategic. So it was interesting to see that they ended up um, selling to Intuit. Yeah. And while I don't have any, you know, insider information, I, I think it was from what I've read and heard, was that it was mostly because of the cultural fit, which I also thought was interesting. Um, yeah, and for me, I, the, the outside view seemed that the acquisition was, you know, was at a at a fair valuation. That's what what I think. Yeah. Nelson was highly profitable at this point. wasn't growing that dynamically anymore, but very similar. Um, profile as Intuit and Intuit has shown in the past that they can be super successful I think they acquired QuickBooks if I'm not not entirely wrong and yeah, they, Quick, they've made that or, or TurboTax one of the Turbo, two TurboTax was an very successful yeah from uh, Borland if I recall right wow man we're dating ourselves <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but but I, I agree with you. I think they they can make it successful. There's a lot of overlap with existing customers, um, and it's a different it's a slightly different play now. I think it's more about profitability than about growth for these companies. Where maybe a company like Sendinblue or uh, Clavio or or Active uh, Active Campaign that 
we compare to are more about the top line than the bottom line at okay. this point. Okay, yeah. Good distinction. Good distinction. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised you brought up Clavio. I was going to ask about that just because of the, the space you play in. I would, I would think you, you, you end up competing with them at, 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 least, at least some junctures. And I know they're quite Shopify-centric yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, they're more e-commerce focused. Yeah, yeah more e-commerce focused. Yeah. Um, while we've got just a few minutes left here, I wanted to know your thoughts about, you mentioned, you mentioned mail privacy um, when you mentioned app privacy. Um, focusing on email specifically, um, Apple introduced mail privacy protection. It's, we're going on six months now. Um, and Google has apparently started doing some prefetching. What impact has MPP had on Sandy Blue or on, or on your customers? Honestly, less than we had feared or anticipated. Mm-hmm. In the end, it of course has some impact on, for example, marketing automation, yep. where some events aren't uh, being tracked accurately yeah. or reliably. Yeah. Uh, so we had to come up with some technical solutions to overcome this. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, you know, email marketing is still the number one online marketing channel mm-hmm. when it comes to return on investment and other channels were i think hurt even more than email marketing yes it's it's not great for for marketers and tracking gets a little less a- accurate and marketing automation isn't working as well anymore for these users but in other channels it's like the whole ad industry you can you know meta earnings and so on if you look at that it's been increasingly difficult for them to 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 track or uh, execute well on these other channels so email marketing is still still going really well and yeah. might have even profited a bit from all these other uh, changes yeah. in, in the advertising space yeah yeah well and and email marketing in in an email relationship like let's go back to that outdoor retail, retailer i mentioned like it is a direct relationship. I did say, yes, you can email me. And I haven't said no, unsubscribe. So it's like, it's me and them. There isn't anybody, anybody in the middle in control or, or influencing the message. Like I get, I get it straight from the horse's mouth. Um, and Facebook's large tactical mistake rearview mirror was never getting down to an how do i put this they were they were they were mediated they were one step away from yes and no they spread that ecosystem through their apis across mobile and and you know mobile exploded but um i didn't say yes to all of those touch points in apps on my phone so when apple came back and said you should be able to say yes and no it cut the pins right out from under Facebook. That's why they lost two hundred fifty billion in market value in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch! And I'm okay with it. <laughs> I really am okay with it. <laughs> you didn't ask me, guys. You just did it. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh, we're watching a bunch of reshuffling of big market structures as digital. It's not like we've stopped innovating, but there's some maturation going on in the digital space. I think. Um, you know, we know who the big winners are. 
yeah. list them and name them and they're they show up on stock exchanges we're we're, we're figuring out the fit among all of those uh, giants now the question is who who controls the the user like the connection between your company and and the consumer yep and the issue with these big platforms facebook or instagram or whatever is that you're not in, in control right and that's different for email and this is why email is so so powerful still yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts always, you, you yeah. could say the same thing about about messaging particularly text sms mms and and i know you send blue has some functionality for for text marketing right yes exactly what what do, do you think about those two channels side by side texting yeah. uh, email it's it's still a little different because you have to go through um some provider on on the consumer's side right mm -hmm. you have to go through an at&t or whatever t-mobile or whatever mm -hmm. and it, it they charge for it so that's in somebody else's hand well in email it's super easy to set up your own mta and send and receive emails and it's practically for free right right where text messaging is pretty expensive yeah, per message expensive. and yeah. depending on where you send it as well um it's it's it can be i mean us is it's not that bad but if if you look at europe you, you pay like five six seven cents sometimes per wow per, per message <clears throat> So it's really it's um, it, it's it's a lot more expensive than emails. Uh, nevertheless, it has it, its reason for existence, and it, it makes sense to use text messaging in the right context. It's a lot more intrusive, of course, um, than than an email, but it also gets much higher response rates, and yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it serves a different purpose. I mean, nowadays there's not only text messaging but also other kind of messengers um, yeah some of them i mentioned like facebook messenger instagram messenger or whatsapp or telegram and so on yeah, yeah. and we start integrating with with those as well yeah um but even even the whatsapp business pricing i don't know if you know that but the whatsapp business pricing is basically this pretty much the same as text messaging so they differentiate by country right um and by yeah by region, so it's if you want to send WhatsApps to um, to Europe, you you'll still pay five, four, six, four, five, six cents uh, per message. Yeah, like yeah. a text message. Wow. Yeah. It, it. Yeah. And and the fact that there are message platforms plural, and there's not multiple email systems, right? Mm -hmm. SMTP one. When we talk about email, yeah, we're exactly. talking about SMTP, you know, pop IMAP, but we're talking internet email, period. And if you've got a corporate email system that does different stuff inside the walls, it's connected <laughs> to that other to that other system that one messaging, yeah. uh, multiplicity, Google's flogging, not well, I don't think Google's Google's been pushing RCS for a while, not yeah. going to happen. Apple's not going to give up uh, the their they've got a de facto private messaging platform of their own that happens yeah. to also get your texts, right? Apple iMessages. So yeah. yeah um, exactly. And the interruption is big, right? If I get a text message, I will look at it. If I got yeah. as many text messages as emails, I would go nuts and I'd throw my <laughs> phone out the window. <laughs> yeah. 
well, and there's cool. also new regulations about uh, around text messaging yeah. in the US that will make it um, you know more yeah more privacy focused more privacy well. focused yeah yeah um is there i'm i'm assuming there's anti robocall uh legislation um in the eu like do you get annoying robocalls uh in in germany because we still get them here even though they're nominally oh, yeah. illegal no um actually in germany i almost never got any robocalls here yeah yes a lot yeah. it's like <laughs> imagine imagine if someone starts robo texting me we're really like we're really gonna <laughs> have a problem because i'd be like no stop it i get occasional ones um side story i've gotten a couple of out of the blue texts from realtors one and like we'd like to buy your house yeah one well, I'd, mm. I'd like world peace um <laughs> but how did you get this number and you have the address right i was actually kind of ticked and that's third-party data that's for you <laughs> third-party data for you like i was ticked yeah. i've exactly. actually texted back and like yeah this is illegal so please text me again <laughs> so i've got an evidence chain yeah. crickets right nothing after that <laughs> well Stefan, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you you uh you're on a roll man Thanks, like man. i like yeah. what you're doing um yeah. where do you That's see sand and blue a year from now parting question yeah i well i think we'll continue our trajectory we're going to continue growing um mm -hmm. especially in in the u.s which is our fastest growing market has been for the last two years almost okay, okay interesting. and uh, yeah we see we see a lot of good things happening at the company probably we're going to reach thousand employees next year wow uh, yeah lots you lots to do lots of growth ahead you said about 150 when you when when you uh when your company was uh you know merged slash acquired yeah so you took it to 200 plus so you're at a company that's quintupled in five years give or take yeah that's a lot. It's a lot to grapple with. Just, just organizationally, culture change, people, connections, totally. relationships, all that yeah. stuff. Wow. Yeah, and we're and through a pandemic as well, which has been challenging for a lot of workforces. I think. Yeah. Uh, luckily, we've we've had offices around the world, so we were kind of used to working in a lot of remote. almost like a remote culture yeah. already. Yeah. With a yeah. lot of calls and recordings and Video, um, you know cloud services yeah. for for sharing information and, and data and but, you're in an office but you're in an office right now not yes i'm in the office yeah you're in the, in, you're the in the office yeah and how often do you go into the office uh i i go in maybe two three times per week currently okay, okay. we've actually in uh, you know canada has been pretty strict when it comes to COVID measures so we we just came out of a, a lockdown as well yeah uh, last week so I'm happy to be back at the office. I, I do like being with the team, yeah. uh, at least from time to time, but I also appreciate the flexibility, yeah. having having a four-year-old at home. <laughs> it's, it's nice as well. Four-year-old, that's, that's a great age. My, I've got, mine are much older, but I remember it well. It's a great age. Well, cool. Thank All you right. so much. My guest has been Stefan Shabesta from Send in Blue. Thanks for making the time, sir. Thanks, Matthew. It was a pleasure.